Hill, Atlantic City, home of the Philadelphia Eagles. 97.3 ESPN. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I love coaching this football team. I love coaching those players in there. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Inside the Birds podcast dropped this morning. I mean, you would know that if you were a subscriber like me. You get the alert and you listen to it first thing in the morning. Jeff Mosher joins us each and every Wednesday and Friday for Football at Four here on 97.3 ESPN. And Jeff, I'm not sure if we have anything to talk about concerning the Eagles today. No, nothing to talk about. And, um, you know, Josh, I always like to do it first thing in the morning as well. So that's a good comment by you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I I appreciate that you appreciate my uh, promptness with the podcast. How about that? I do. And I, I appreciate also that you uh, and, and I don't know if our listeners uh, know this, but you help out a little bit with the sound element on our Tales from the Blind Side show that has been very very well received on the inside the birds platform with trey thomas jamal jackson and todd harriman's and people really do get a kick out of it because it's just just three offensive linemen from the old guard just kind of talking you know what and talking eagles and they don't hold back and they're very funny but they're also very insightful and informative so really happy to have that that show on and and you know they dropped uh yesterday and they had a lot to say about the benching of of Carson Wentz and and all three of them played for the 2008 Eagles team that had the benching of Donovan McNabb and comparing and, cr- and contrasting the situations uh, I thought was really interesting on their part. Yeah, let's start there, Jeff, because you and Adam talked about it on the podcast I dropped this morning. Trey, Jamal, and Harriman's talked about it yesterday. It seems like that even though that that's kind of the closest analogy that we have, it seems like there are some very distinct differences in those situations, especially considering the fact that the biggest difference to me, at least my two eyes tells me, Jeff, that I, I think Wentz and McNabb are in completely different headspaces. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Um I mean, it's not an apples to apples situation, which is what I was guilty of probably last week when I said on the pod that if the Eagles wound up benching Carson Wentz, they should just do it for a half, let him step back, take a deep breath, and then be right back in the starting spot the following week. And I said that's what Andy did with Donovan McNabb. But I I really, you know, I regret kind of putting that that comparison on because it's so different. And, And I did some of the research and Hunter and I have talked about this. You know, when when, Mc, when McNabb got benched, he was in a little bit of a two-game funk. You know, remember they had that tie against Cincinnati, go figure. And um, then they were losing to Baltimore. They, but but at the time, the offense was still a good functional I, I, offense. I believe they were a top-five scoring team. It wasn't like a complete year-long funk that he was in. So uh, I, what what's going on with Carson is – I mean, it's kind of a mystery, although we can talk about what's led into it, but it's been from the start of the season. And I, and I think he needs more than just one half of football on the sidelines. I do think Doug's making the right decision here. I think Carson does need the rest of the year to just kind of watch and then get rebuilt in the off season with, and you know, we have no idea who'll be doing that job, but whoever it is really has to kind of work from the ground up on getting him back to a functional level. 
How much of this decision do you think it's Doug Peterson, one, maybe coaching for his job a bit, and two, showing, look, it's not my offense. This is not my problem. This was a quarterback problem. With a quarterback that works, my offense works. Do you think he's trying to make that sort of statement? You know, I don't know, Hunter, about what statement he's trying to make other than our quarter, our starting quarterback, Carson Wentz, has been broken all year long, and he's just – if we want to do anything over the next four games, if we even want a chance – to survive offensively, we, he he's got to take a step back. But I do think to what you're 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 asking me is I think we're going to learn uh, maybe a little and and maybe a lot over the next four weeks about just how much Carson himself was the problem, and maybe just how much Doug Peterson was the problem. Certainly, if the offense looks day and night, if it looks a lot better you start to probably ease up on some of the things that we've said about Doug Peterson. Uh, certainly if the offense looks no better, then it becomes, well, it's just not Carson here who's the, who's at fault, which is what you know I think we all suspect anyway. Uh, I think it'll further validate that. But I, I, this does give Doug a little bit of a clean slate, kind of like when Nick Foles took over, to say, I've got a quarterback now who I – who's not going to have autonomy. He's not going to kill certain plays. You hear Doug talk about, well, I did have a few design rollouts. They got killed, or I did have more runs. They were changed. You know, he doesn't throw Carson under the bus, but he just explains, you know, what's going on throughout the course of the game. But we saw this with Nick Foles. They design the offense a little differently. They don't, Nick never had that kind of autonomy the way Carson does. And maybe if we see Jalen Hurts succeed, knowing that Doug is really the, the ultimate play caller and, and not a lot of his stuff is getting killed, then I think then you start to look at, at Doug in a different light and Carson in a different light. Jeff, you mentioned about Doug Peterson, the clean slate. He told the media today that a key to Hurts having success is you got to run the ball, you got to get him in rhythm in the passing game. And it felt like as he kept talking, I'm thinking – so are you unable to do that for Carson? It almost felt like he was telling you something about Carson in his explanation for what they're going to do to help Hertz be successful. Yeah, Josh, I tweeted out that quote, and my God, I mean, I already know that Twitter is a, is a dangerous place for any kind of, you know, relaxed civil discussion, but holy cow, the reaction I got. I mean, uh, you would think based on people's reactions, and I understand why they feel this way, by the way, um, you would think, though, that the interpretation of that was that Doug was sabotaging Carson Wentz this whole time and is now going to start running the ball more and adding all this quick game stuff for Jalen Hurts because he likes Jalen Hurts better. I think people need to just, you know, come back to earth a little bit here. And and first of all, when Doug says that and the way people reacted, first you have to be in the camp where you believe him. Do you believe that Doug is going to run the ball? Do you believe that he's going to give uh, more quick game routes to Jalen Hurts? I would like to think that he will, but I'm in the I'll believe that when I see it camp because you're right, he's kind of said these things all year long and we really haven't seen it. If he starts doing it now, it certainly looks very strange. But I do think, he, he, I do think he's got to modify his offense to fit Jalen Hurts' strengths. And I, he does have to be more of a offensive play caller and offensive coordinator because again he's Jalen's not going to have the autonomy to do whatever he wants out there but I don't think Doug Peterson has been sabotaging Carson Wentz this whole time I think there have been a lot of reasons 
why the offense has not been great, why they're why Carson's regressed, uh, why the offensive line has has not helped that. But I don't think sabotage is is number one on my list of reasons why Carson has regressed. I'm glad you said not sabotage because that leads me to my other question. I've been asking this question now for a, a, a couple of weeks now, and just more like a thinking out loud thing. Mm-hmm. Is part of the problem with Wentz and the Eagles offense that from day one, the Eagles have put so much on his plate. You know, the whole thing coming out of college was how smart he was, high football IQ, he ran a pro-style offense in North Dakota State, etc. Is mm-hmm. part of the problem that maybe the Eagles have put so much on Wentz's plate that instead of reeling him back in, they kind of just let him keep doing that, and they're not going to do that with Hurts? You know, that's a good question. I, I don't know if... I understand how you're phrasing it. Putting him on the, putting it on his plate is is the right way. I, I and, and I said this on the podcast, so you, you'll probably know where I'm coming from here. But I was almost aghast rewatching the all 22 of this Packers game. Doug's play calling, first of all, did not change very much when Hertz went in for Wentz. Now someone could say, well, it's in the middle of the game; he didn't have time to build an offense around Jalen Hurts. And I, all I would say to that is. I mean, he's had to he had to have known he was going to Jalen Hurts leading in the week leading up if Carson was going to struggle again because it all, it was going to happen the week before. I mean, we've been talking about this for weeks. It had to be on his mind. He should have had if he's going to do this. He should have had some Jalen Hurts type plays ready to go for when Hurts got into the game, but he didn't. And the amount of routes that this guy uh, plays that that Doug Peterson calls that have just multiple – if there's four outlets, three of them are going to be vertical. Sometimes all four. If there's five outlets, four are going to be vertical. I cannot for the life of me understand why you're running so many vertical routes when you have an offensive line that has not been able to protect for more than two and a half seconds. A lot of these plays, uh, the quarterback is asked to do a little fake handoff first, which wastes a few more seconds for the defense to get up. And there's there's just no capitalizing on some of the soft coverage that they've seen. The Packers played a lot of soft zone. A lot of these receivers had 8 to 10 yards of cushion from the snap. But when your routes are so vertical and, and they don't, you know, when there's no slant, no quick game, no, no um, rub routes early, then these, these receivers have to run 10 to 12 yards and the, the cushion's already there. The cornerbacks are, are giving themselves – all that space. So people say the, the wide receivers can't separate is because they're running against coverages that are already half a mile down the field. And I don't understand when your quarterback can't stay upright for two and a half seconds, how you're expected to perform under the, that kind of environment. And for that, I think Doug has really hurt Carson Wentz all year long because that's been a season long problem, just vertical upon vertical upon vertical and no relief, nothing short for the quarterback to get into a rhythm or capitalize on soft coverage. I think you saw the Packers do it to the Eagles all game. I mean, sure, they, Devontae Adams had some some deeper stuff, but he also had a lot of slants and quick ins and things like that that were designed to get the ball into his hands very quickly. Not only that, I feel like I've seen players run into each other on the Eagles' part, and not or they're running similar routes where, is it going to Goddard or is it going to Zach Ertz? It's like, what's happening with this play design? They're both in the same area. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I do want to touch on something, though, that I heard today from Doug in the presser, and maybe I'm blowing this out of proportion. I'll get your thoughts. He said, when asked about Carson Wentz backing up, let's see how this week goes. 
But I would expect for that to be the case. Now, let's see how that week goes. It almost is saying it's possible that he's not the backup and he could maybe even be inactive. Now, am I reading too much into that? Um, I don't think you're reading too much into it. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think I would be against it either, Hunter. I mean, if, you're tr- if your whole purpose is to try to get Carson to take a step back, relax, not feel the weight out there, it's no good to get him right back in the game if Jalen Hurts twists an ankle, right? I mean, I don't know that you're getting your desired result if Carson's got to get back on the playing field. So it might be best for Carson and best for the offense if Nate Sudfeld is your backup quarterback and Jalen Hurts is your starter, at least for, you know, I would say for the rest of the way, but at least for the next few weeks. Jeff Mosher here on Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. New episode dropped this morning. Make sure you subscribe to the Inside the Birds podcasting network for all the podcasts. Not just Jeff Mosher and Adam Kaplan, but the whole team over there. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Mosher NFL. Now, Jeff, with all that being said, what realistically can the Eagles do? Because you and Adam talked about on the podcast that dropped this morning about what the film said about Hurts. And yeah, there were some good things to take away from it, but. I've talked to a lot of people in the last few days about what Hurts was in college and what they expect him to be in the NFL, and I'm not getting a lot of consensus about exactly what Hurts can do in year one. So what can we actually expect from Hurts in the Eagles' offense on Sunday? Well, the first thing I can say to that, Josh, is that it's hard to base any kind of uh, assumption on what he can or can't do based on the little time that he got against the Packers. And the second thing that becomes harder to predict is how much of these first uh, 13 weeks of NFL where him with him as mostly the backup, has he developed in that time? We, it's just impossible for, for you and I to know because we haven't seen him at practice. Only the coaches have. So I can, I can give you the answer that when they drafted him, a lot of personnel people in the NFL – Felt that you know, obviously felt he was a very good athlete. Um, had a nice arm, not 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 the A level, A plus level arm, but right right behind it, so he can make almost you know most of the throws. Um, but they also felt that he had um, kind of, and you see this a lot of the spread quarterbacks, like that one read and go type of mentality, where if the first progression is not there and you have the ability to run, you tuck and run. And certainly, in that when you watch the all twenty two against the Packers. And we're going to highlight this uh, on our pregame show Sunday so everybody can check it out. We've got some really good telestration from it from our friends at Leverage Studios. There are times where Jalen ran uh, against the Packers and did not see certain certain receivers open. And there are a couple of times where he locked in, just like we saw from Carson this year, on one receiver and didn't let a play develop because there was a secondary receiver or tertiary one open or one that you would anticipate being open based on the coverage that you saw. So there was that. Now, some of that could just be getting thrown into the fire there. Some of it without a week's of practice, or some of that can just be what, what he is right now because of his, you know what he showed he was in college. Uh, I just can't tell you, though, given a, a, what he will be like when he gets a full week of practice and he works on some of those things that I just mentioned uh, that, that were areas for improvement and how much of that he's already kind of worked on and developed since the day they drafted him. 
Do you think that we saw the last of Jason Peters and Alshon Jeffrey? Doug was asked about it today, and it does seem like whether it's due to health or that's just what he's telling everybody, that you know maybe Jason Peters isn't going to be giving it a go, and maybe we see more of Fulgham and Herbig instead. I mean, I don't mean to be a jerk, but I hope so. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I've been screaming about Alshon Jeffrey being on the field now for three weeks. Why is he on the field? It's clear the other receivers are hurting and not as prosperous as they once were, like, for example, Travis Fulgham, because Alshon Jeffrey's out there. And it's not like, well, at least you're getting production from Alshon Jeffrey. You're not. So I don't see the purpose of him being out there. And I, you know, I was in the camp that they shouldn't have brought Jason Peters back from from August or or, or even before that, the whole off season. And and yeah, you know, coming in and out of games is not helping a guy like Nate Herbig who holds his own when he's in there. He's not great, but and he's not going to be a starter in the future. But he does hold his own and play adequately and enough to give you continuity if you just keep him there at right guard. Jeff, how much also is it? It's been suggested that because. Hurt spent so much time with the twos and with the younger players in camp and practice squads and scout team that maybe his familiarity and his connection is much, much, much higher with the other guys. You guys mentioned on the podcast about how much Rager to Hurts, those guys work together a lot in practice. Is it also maybe to be said that maybe Alshon just doesn't have familiarity with Hurts that maybe a Fulgham would? I, and yet another reason not to have Alshon Jeffrey out on the field. Um, I will say there was one play that we, we saw in the All-22 where if Jalen had let the play develop a little bit more before running, he would have noticed that Alshon, uh, he stacked the corner. It wasn't like he had a, a two yards of separation, but uh, he's clearly taller and more physical than the corner that was covering him. And there was a chance there for Jalen to make a play and it just wasn't made but I agree I mean put put guys around Jalen Hurts that he's accustomed to throwing to and the you know guys like Fulgham and Rager they weren't necessarily first team right away Rager yes but I'm sure Rager was also bouncing around uh and Hurts was probably you know in training camp probably had Fulgham and and Ward guys that to to be able to establish a rhythm with so I and and they've talked already about um the kind of the bond that they have just being quarterbacks Greg Ward also being a quarterback by trade uh in college so I, I you know you gotta you gotta surround this guy with young hungry players who want to be out there making plays not guys like Alshon who are just kind of you know just out there to be out there speaking of Jalen Rager it was obvious with that punt return that he, he could make it happen and we've been questioning what's going on. They're using Greg Ward. He's just catching the ball. And and sometimes you're getting put in a tough situation from an offensive standpoint because you're not returning the punts properly. Do you think that there's a correlation between the bobble with Jalen Rager and why we haven't seen him more out there in that specific area? I mean, I believe it was like a couple of weeks ago that he, he let a punt go over his head um, that they felt he should have fair caught or, or tried to return. And, you know, he made a defense for himself in the press conference saying it looked like it was going, it was over the head. It looked like it was going to go to the end zone. And, and then he also started playing more offensively, but look, I think again, with rookies, you know, they make mistakes. I think last year, uh, McCall Hardman, the second round pick uh, speed demon for the Kansas city chiefs. He, he fumbled a couple of punts. He was, he was putting the ball on the ground, but he's a rookie and you know he's going to make mistakes, and you can't just completely shelve him when he has the potential to turn a game uh, around on either a punt return or a big catch. And I'm sure McCall Hardman learned for it. He's been a nice second-year receiver for the Chiefs. He's still a good deep threat. 
uh, and an emerging guy. And I, and I think you have to live with that with Rager. You can't, you know, you, especially in this year where you didn't have that many uh, camps or, or a real training camp. I mean, if you got a guy in the first second, first second round who has explosion, you got to give him a chance to, to make some plays and redeem any mistakes that he might make. Jeff, we can flip it over to a quick question on the defensive side of the ball. I got to ask you, because the injury report came out while we've been talking to you, and Fletcher Cox is again a DNP at practice, second straight week with this neck issue. A couple weeks before, it was a rest. He's DNP for rest. What it, should we read into Fletcher Cox in this situation? Because he keeps missing practices since the bye week, and first it's rest, and now it's his neck. It, it just has this weird vibe to me that I don't understand – is, is there something deeper going on with Fletcher that we don't know about maybe? I don't know that it's deeper. I do feel like that they've tried to give him uh, an extra day off of practice per week uh, at this stage of his, his career. You mentioned the rest. Now it's the neck. So I don't know how bad the neck is. It probably does get sore after games if it's something that's nagging him. Um, but I think it is an excuse to just kind of give him – the an extra day you know Wednesday is not you know this late in the season is not the big big practice day it's the day they get together I mean it's important I'm not trying to say it's not but you know Thursday and Friday is when they do a lot of their situational stuff their red zone their third down their blitz package and things of that nature so I, I feel like that's why he they take it easy on him on the Wednesdays and they've done that in the past with JP and other veterans where they just kind of you know kind of back off a little bit to to make sure that they're fresh for the weekend. Since we're on the defense, what was your assessment of Darius Slay against Devontae Adams? Well, he was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so hard because, you know, he makes, before the last two matchups, you know, you looked at Darius Slay like he's doing a hell of a job, and you bring him in here to make those plays against these receivers, and he's there, he's super close, but he's also missing something at the same time. Was the injury a big factor? I mean, what do we have in Darius Slay? Because the big matchups, it seems he's just a, just a little bit shy. Yeah, you know what? I think you made a, a good point that's probably going to sound like uh, I'm absolving him, and I'm really not, but against uh, Devontae Adams, who's who's probably the best receiver in football, I, I felt he was there. Like you mentioned, he was there on a lot of plays. He lost some 50-50 balls. There's like one or two of those, what, 10 catches where um, you're like, you thought to yourself, man, that that's that's a play that you, you should probably make. And, you know, the same thing with Metcalf. I thought he battled – with Metcalf, but there were about one or two that um, he just couldn't get to, and and obviously Metcalf dropped one in the end zone. So I'm not absolving him. He did not have the the, the Darius Slay standard games, but I also think that the numbers may look a little bit worse than his play actually was. So um, and maybe the injury did factor into that. I, I don't think that all of a sudden he's he's a chump cornerback because he's had two rough weeks against really big physical receivers, especially. And again, like you look at Devontae, if he, you know Jim likes to play corners off, and if he was off, then Devontae was just going to adjust, and and Aaron and him were going to have that kind of nonverbal communication to take advantage of it. And Devontae caught a lot of stuff uh, intermediary as well, and so sometimes that goes against the corner, but you can't do do much about it. Uh, I think, look, if he has another really tough game against Mike Thomas, who is a great wide receiver but a different kind of guy, he's not. I wouldn't say he's ex explosive. As a Metcalf, he's just very consistent and has great hands and a precision route runner. If he really struggles against Mike Thomas and gets beat over the top, then you got to start to worry. But if he can keep Mike Thomas in front of him and just you know be the bend but break style, I think that they'll be all right. 
Jeff Mosher inside the Birds Podcast. New episode dropped this morning. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Hit the like. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, all the platforms. Joins us every Wednesday and Friday for Football at 4 here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Before we let you go, Jeff, I got to ask you the question that we asked at the beginning of the show. Mike Gill put up a poll yesterday. The poll was asking, who is the most unlikable sports figure in Philadelphia currently? And it was Howie Roseman or the field. 74% said Howie Roseman. And I think that that vote is a complete insult and embarrassment. Because to me, it has to be the field. Because the most unlikable person in sports in Philadelphia should absolutely, positively be John Middleton. The fact that people have this unmitigated, predisposed bias against Howie Roseman, a guy who was a part of bringing this city a Super Bowl championship. But nobody wants to spend enough time hating on the guy who has done nothing since he became the face of the organization, John Middleton, is a complete mm. insult to me. Yeah, you know, I always consider when we talk about the unlikable award, right? I call it an award. Uh, it's usually a, 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 a sports standout or a personality who kind of thumbs their nose at the crowd. You know, you've had, you know, Jason Worth was at one point unlikable after he left because of some of the things he said. Uh, I'm trying to think of some, who is it that said something? Oh, uh, the guy, the Sean Rodriguez. for the Phillies in the game, Kepler era. Sean Rodriguez. Sean Rodriguez, yeah. Right, right. It's usually, now, Howie, Howie's just done a bad job. He hasn't, he has not insulted the crowd or said anything like that. But, but certainly Middleton, I mean, you know, Hunter and I talked about this the other day. If you say you wouldn't trade, um, uh, Zach Wheeler for for Babe Ruth. I have to assume you mean because Babe Ru Babe Ruth is dead, and so you wouldn't trade him for a dead guy. And that that to me is an obvious statement. Of course you wouldn't. But was he insinuating he wouldn't trade Zach Wheeler for Babe Ruth if Babe Ruth was in his prime? Because then you're just an idiot. I mean, what what is that? <laughs> I I just don't understand this predisposed hate for Howie Roseman. It's just so irrational. Like, I get it. Nobody's happy with the Eagles right now, but it seems like Howie Roseman could save a cat in the tree, give help a woman give birth on the side of the road on I-95. He could save the world from cancer, and Eagle fans would still hate this guy. Um... Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> Listen, I think he deserves to be criticized. I just, uh, you know, you said versus the field. Now, I'll just take the field on that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with the field, too, because the field involves John Milton. And that's where yeah. my, that's where my, as Broads would say, hate the face goes to right now. All right. Well, now that Jake Arrieta is no longer a Philly, you know, um, because he's a free agent, I guess that that, that, that that passes. Well, they saved $20 million, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> He's Jeff Mosher. Give him a follow on Twitter at Jeff Mosher NFL. Grab the latest edition of the Inside the Birds podcast. As all guest, he appeared on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Great stuff, Jeff. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a good day. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gale here on the Sports Bash alongside Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN Football at 4 on 97.3 is being brought to you. By PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now and then match your first spots up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sportsbook along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 20-minute order to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll get back to the text 609-403-0973 where we talk Ty Roseman, we talk Jalen Hurts, we talk Carson Wentz, we talk Doug Peterson. We've talked football coaches fighting. It's been a busy show. 
here on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app. It's free. Thanks to First Bank of Seattle City. This is the radio home for Philadelphia Eagles football. This Sunday, the Eagles host the New Orleans Saints at the link. Back goes Breeze. He's looking. Welcome back into the Sports Bash. 609-403-0973. Josh Eddie Philly Break, along with Hunter Brody. Follow him on Twitter at Broads81. I am at Josh Hennig. Hennig spelled H-E-N-N-I-G. You can go harass us both there on social media. You know, speaking of harassing, it feels weird that there was a game last night, there was a game tomorrow night. I feel like there's this like lull in the action tonight. I know there's college basketball on, but you know. It still feels like there's a bizarre, like, jump. And it's like you go on the DraftKings app, right? And you're trying to, you know, do what you're going to do. And you had these huge wins last night. And it's like, then there's today, there's no football. They take any of those winnings and throw it on to. Yeah, wait till tomorrow night. That's true. Well, they also, by the way, are having this unbelievable odds boost and promotions every single day this week. Every day. Thanks to the happiest of holidays. That's ah. right. It's that time of the year, Josh. So I can go on the DraftKings app tonight and get some action. Absolutely you can. They are also giving all new players the chance to earn a sign-up bonus up to $1,000 when signing up using promo code 973. There's some UFC action, UFC 256, right under our nose. Figueredo versus Romero. Make sure you check that out as well. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code 973. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Again, we mentioned the text board, 609-403-0973. We do have some texts to get to. Dan in EHT chimes in and says, there's way too much psychological put in the quarterbacks. Guys, they are not as thin-skinned as people think they are. Now, is he saying that we're overanalyzing the mental side of the game? Am I misreading that? I think that's what he's saying. Okay, so he's saying that we're putting too much stock in you need to be in you need to have a mental side of the game. I think that he's saying that there's too much psycho psychoanalysis going into this. And I understand where he's coming from because there is an attitude and there's a perception that you either play or you can't, right? And that and that's been that way forever. But the one thing Danny HT is overlooking because Danny H.T. and I go back and forth a lot of times about quarterbacks, right? Is that the higher the level of sport you play, doesn't matter what the sport is, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, soccer, MMA, whatever, there's a higher level of intellectual thought that goes into the execution, all right? You're doing things at the college level you wouldn't do at the high school level. There's things you're doing at the NFL level you wouldn't do at the college level. It's part of the graduation and the development and the evolution. So, well, yes, maybe we're putting a little bit too much psychoanalysis into it. You kind of have to, though, because these guys, that's part of the execution of their jobs. You know, for you've talked about playing hockey, for example, and you've acknowledged, you know, hey, there's a huge difference between me playing college hockey and what happens in the Stanley Cup Final Game 7. Absolutely, no doubt about it. And, and another thing to look at it is, when you are this quarterback, and yes, he did go through some injuries, but we've seen him play well outside of those injuries when he returned. So you don't just fall off 
because you because your your ability is no longer there. The reason why he has fallen off to this degree, if you look at it, yes, there's injuries that have limited him, so he's not the same quarterback he was in 2017. But you don't fall to this degree. So why did you fall? Why is your play no longer bad? You have the same arm. You have the same arm strength. You have the same body. Well, the mental side of the game is different. You are not as confident in yourself. So I would say that it's not diving too deep in the psychological aspect. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Right. There's no other. Re- there's. There's nothing. It's not like Wentz all of a sudden stopped being able to throw. Right. It's not like he shrunk seven inches. Because we saw in his the arms. Boston Scott throw. Exactly. Right. Like we've seen throws this year where you're like, there he is. Very limited, but yes. But you have them. It's almost every game. Almost every game this year, Wentz has done something that you say, there it is. I've been waiting all game for this. Come on. Where have you been all this game? And and it's frustrating. And there's no other explanation for it except for that mentally, his mental aptitude or his mental approach or something up there is preventing him from doing it. Now, whether that's purely because of the mechanics, whether that's confidence, whether that's overthinking, whether that's too many voices in his ear, whatever it is, there's something going on upstairs that is affecting Everything you see on the field. Absolutely, because like I was saying, it's not as if he shrunk seven inches and his arms aren't as long and he doesn't have as much twerk in his stomach. There's a lot going on in in the brain that is the reason why it has fallen to this degree. So it's very unfortunate, and it's almost like I'm shocked and stunned and numb. I think numb is the best way to describe it. I am numb having this conversation every day as if I'm not even fully aware that we are still having this conversation, as if this is reality. You know, this is reality. Look at this mess that we are witnessing. It's so hard for me to comprehend that we are now discussing how you're going to blow this thing up. It happened so quickly. Just a few years ago, Josh. And that conversation still feels bizarre anyway, does it not? Because it's like, you just won a Super Bowl a few years ago. Although, who did we have the other day that said, in football years, three years is actually a long time, which is true. So, you know, do I take that back a bit? Is it just short term ago? Or in football world, three years, that is a long time. See, I don't know if I agree with that point because look how many coaches keep their job well beyond the expiration date after winning the Super Bowl. Brian Billick probably should have been fired a year or two But does that make it right because others did it that way? Like, if that's the bar. Right, but I'm saying that. The, the precedent around the league is such. I'm not saying that that's the way it should be done, but I'm just saying that guys like Brian Billick and Mike McCarthy and John Gruden in Tampa, these guys all had these dips as the years went on with their teams. And they kept their job mostly because they have Super Bowl champion next to their, their resume. So I, I feel like this attitude that three years is a long time in the NFL but is it really? Because there's a lot of people who get the benefit of the doubt because they have that resume. Right, and it depends on the organization. If you have Jacksonville, let's say, and they have some success but not too much success, you're willing to keep a coach longer than here in Philadelphia where the pressure is more intense. So it does matter what organization you're talking about and and things of that nature when you look at this. But we've seen Jeffrey Lurie and this ownership and, and the front office move on from guys when they win nine games. So if you're talking about moving on from guys and keeping them because they won a Super Bowl just three years ago, they've made changes when they've won and when they've been over 500. So 
it's really hard for me to truly sit here and, and say that Doug is safe just because he won the Super Bowl. 609-403-0973 is the text board. Marty in EHT says, Carson Wentz has the yips, like in golf. And listen, maybe it is that. Markel Fultz? Or whatever. You know, maybe, you know, Chuck Knobloch, you know, maybe there is something to be said that, you know, maybe there is something to be the fact that Wentz just needs to go see a sports shrink. I don't know. Well, here's my thing about that. I don't know if 12 games is a big enough sample size. I would... Maybe that's true. I'm not ruling that out. But I need more time to know if that is true or not. So these 12 games, small sample size. He played 13 games in 2017. I'd argue small sample size. So he's not what he was in 2017. I don't think he's this. And I'm willing to find out if it is the yips and it is if they continue with him moving down in the future. Fine. I'll acknowledge I took a shot and it was the yips. But I don't know if this is truly who he is at this moment. Now, Tom from the Village chimes in about the Howie Roseman poll. Because, you know, Howie Roseman is still resoundingly winning this poll. Uh, we are at, currently, I have to refresh but one more time, we're at 200 votes, 74% still Howie Roseman, who's the most unlikable figure in Philadelphia, Howie Roseman of the field. Now, Tom the Villas brings up an excellent point. Whoa. And, I'm, and I don't agree with the point, but it's an excellent point context. Well, I think that's why I just got shocked there, because you not agreeing with it and saying it was great, it threw me for a loop. Well, that's I'm all. an objective individual. That is true. Okay, he says, I think you're getting those results based on popularity, Tom in the Villa says. I picked Howie Roseman on the poll because I don't watch baseball, and the other two teams are doing good things right now. So what Tom is saying, which is a, which is a very great contextual point, if you don't pay attention to one of the other teams, let's say, like the Phillies, or maybe you're just an Eagles guy, or you're just a football guy, or maybe your perception is that of the four teams, the Eagles are the most messy. So yes, I get what you're saying. Based on that context, and based on saying, if I'm only paying attention to the Eagles, one other team, like let's say if you're an Eagles and Flyers guy, you're an Eagles and Sixers guy, like how many anytime hotline calls we get where the person says, can we move on to the Sixers season, right? A lot. You know, so maybe you're not someone who pays attention to the Phillies, or you don't care about the Phillies. You're like, oh, whatever, the Phillies are over there. Maybe you're someone who only pays attention to the Eagles, one other team. Yes, your context and reference point is, it is Howie Roseman in that poll. And I tend to lean with him, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier is, the Eagles, they're just, it's a bigger fan base. It's a its a more passionate fan base. More people care about them than they do John Middleton. And you got to dig a little deeper to really see the John Middleton issues where you don't need to dig as deep with the Howie Roseman one. So it is a little bit more common to the eye, which would make it more popular. And, I, and I, I'm willing to accept Tom from the Villas' answer than the majority of people on Twitter who were tweeting at the poll. Because the majority of people who were tweeting on the poll at 973, it's just completely irrational. You know, like, for example, where's the one? You know, Howie, get him the bleep out of Philadelphia. He can't draft. And the cap guru is giving us some of the worst contracts we've ever seen. I mean, it's just like, that's just ridiculous. Like, you're acting like the guy's never done anything in his life to keep him the job. He you know has I mean? been giving out some bad contracts, though. He's got a But point. everybody does. Yeah, but that doesn't make it... And a lot of people get fired. Y so yes, a lot of but, people do, and a lot of people get fired for doing it. But 
again, and I understand the context of this is some people only pay attention to the Eagles and nobody else. And me and Billy Schwein have this argument on the locker room on Saturday sometimes about how he's like, I don't care what other teams do. I only care about the Eagles. But the problem with that mentality is that you're saying you're com- you're you're comparing Howie Roseman to a fictional character, right? To nothing. Okay, you're not you you. If you're going to put things in context, if you're going to have a rational discussion, which I try to do here on ninety seven three. I know that's very hard for people to accept them, but I'm trying to have a rational discussion in an irrational world. Okay. When people turn on the radio and hear me, I'm trying to give them something they can grab onto mentally and not just a bunch of vomit. Okay? I don't know what I try and tell people. Well, you're you are you're trying to. I feel like you're someone who's trying to be rational too. You just go about course, it differently. Of than course, of course. I'm just having some fun. And so I'm an entertainer. Mike. You know, Mike. Mike is trying to be rational. I feel like people turn on 97.3 ESPN. You're trying to get sports that's not vomit. Okay, that's not just a dude turning on the microphone and just giving you a bunch of blah coming out of his mouth. So when I try to explain to people that if you think Howie Roseman is such a horrible GM that you're not paying attention to the rest of the league, I'm not saying that to be insulting. I'm saying that because, as I said with Brett Brown, if you fire this guy, who are you replacing him with? I said that for three years here on 97.3. If you fire fill-in-the-blank coach, who do you replace him with? Here's my counter. Because I was with you. You know, look, fire Brett Brown, fine, bring in someone solid. Well, they ended up bringing in Doc Rivers, this whole new regime right. that works. But at the time, our answer, we don't have anyone. We don't know the answer. We don't know what it's going to be. Well, it worked out for the Sixers. So right now we sit here and say, who are you going to hire? I might not have the answer for you, but it sure worked out with the Sixers. Now, maybe they got lucky. People got fired. Daryl Morey did his move, whatever. But to say that they the Eagles can't find someone that can succeed is not fair either because, sure, there can be someone out there who you're not aware of that can step in. My thing and my problem with Howie that, you know, it seems like you and Gil seem to be more on the other side of the screw Howie Roseman train, which is fair. I'm in the middle. Is I think he has had successful times, and he hasn't been good as of late. And the last three years, it's it's been an issue. Howie Roseman has been a, been a serious issue with this team over the last handful of years. A issue. Yes, not a issue. the issue. And that's where I delineate, a, for a, me at least. No, I'm with you, but I think he's up there, though. If you're looking at the list of people, he's not far from the top at all. If it's Lori 1, it's probably Howie 2, because they're one and the same. They're, he's the puppet. He's part of it. So if Lori's 1, Howie's got to be 2, because they're almost one and the same. They're not all one and the same for only this one reason. And I gave this theory to you and Mike the other day. I have to wonder... Does Howie Roseman have this job because he's one of the few people who knows what Jeffrey Lurie is looking for? Like Jeffrey Lurie doesn't maybe want, but that still a makes him. It still makes him a problem. I think you're right. I think he is right, maybe he's the shadow of Lurie. Like he's culpable in the situation, but there's a point in time where it's like Howie says, "I want to keep my job. You gotta do what Jeff wants." I think that is absolutely the case. I do. I think that is the case. Absolutely. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Hennig filling for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. We'll get more of your texts throughout the show. 609-403-0973. Still to come, a Weinberg Wednesday. That's right, Dave Weinberg joining us on the Sports Bash. He's moving up from game night with me to the Sports Bash coming up at 5 o'clock here on 97.3 ESPN FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. Turn it on. 
Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. You've got a great idea. You know it'll work, but nobody else believes in you. Would you open 19 credit cards to make it happen? Tito Beverage did, and now we're drinking Tito's Handmade Vodka. It's 100%... ESPN. Four o'clock hour of the Sports Bash being brought to you by Matt Black Kia. Matt Black Kia wants to get you approved today. That's Matt Black Kia and the Black Horse Bike in Egg Harbor Township. Weinberg Wednesday coming up about six minutes from now. Getting some Eagles. I kind of feel obligated right now. What? The roll out. Kind of go with the flow there. Well, this was one of my songs from when I was younger. Yeah, it's a good one. You know, there was about a, like a 10-year period of like, I only listened to like the same songs from when I was like, you know, high school, college. You know what I mean? Definitely. It's a phenomenal track. Listen, when I when I used to hang out with my buddy Sid, Sid used to drive like a like an old school huge Buick LeSabre, right? Hydraulics? No, <laughs> but it kind of felt like there were hydraulics because yeah. the car was so beat up. Um... We would bump this song real loud around the neighborhood. The problem, though, with Sid was is that, uh, you know, Sid was a great dude, a good buddy of mine, but he looked just like DMX. What's wrong with that? Well, DMX is short and Sid was tall. So, like, we would purposely mess with people and, like, blast DMX music driving around. They thought it was him. And people thought it was DMX. But Sid couldn't do the DMX. Like, the, you know, the noises. Right. You know, what? Yeah, you if know, you can't do that, you can't pull off the 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 attempt to be right. that individual. Right. So like he would have me like sounding like DMX next to him. And he'd mouth the would he mouth it? Yeah. How'd that work out? It worked out pretty funny because people would think he was DMX and then we just drive off nice. really fast to get away with it. Alright. You know, the things you do when you're like 15, 16. Yeah, of course. Years old. We've all been there. Yeah. Walk around the mall on Friday nights. What did we do there? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I felt like that was the thing years ago. It was like, you go to the mall. Why? Just because. Yeah, you didn't even have money yet. 